Hello and welcome to the Growth Adventure Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel, and thrilled to be joined today by John Elliott. John is the president and CEO of Gleaners Food Bank of Indiana. So, John, welcome. Thank you. Happy to join you. Well, look forward to seeing where the conversation goes, but uh, for the benefit of our audience who's listening, maybe who's not from the central Indiana area, could you uh, maybe share a little bit about yourself as well? I came here from the board side of the table, so I've been CEO here since 2016. Prior to that, I was an executive with uh, Kroger and did a stint uh, at a private liberal arts college and uh, was a U.S. diplomat for a while and then ran international operations and some other things for a large paper and packaging company. So I've wandered my way to this role and find in an intriguing way it's reinforcing for the challenges that Gleaners faces. Certainly the food retail background is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh sorry. yeah, I was going to say before, I do want to follow up on the Kroger piece because I'm fascinated about similarities and differences. But before we get there, could you uh, maybe share a little bit about the organization who you serve, and what your growth profile has been. I would say any time in our conversation today, I refer to data. I'll try to be clear whether it's pre-pandemic data or during pandemic data and so on, because so much has changed. In fact, in some ways, all data is suspect for a while, but Gleaners has four and in some ways five different roles. And the most important of those will always be as one of the 200 Feeding America member food banks with 21 Indiana counties, Central, East, and Southeast, which represents about a third of Indiana's population and a third of Indiana's food insecure. Pre-pandemic, that was right at a million people, spiked over a million three. Some recent survey data is saying we may trend back down to a million here pretty quickly. Nice recovery. We also, though, play two roles for Feeding America. We're a food bank that responds to natural disasters around the country where we support our sister food banks as needed, typically in hurricane zones, but not only that. We also operate a regional cooperative on behalf of the network where we go out and gather primarily produce that was previously not harvested or was destroyed, but also increasingly protein and dairy and other foods. And then we send mixed loads out to customer food banks across nine Midwest states. The largest customer of Gleaners, the co-op, is Gleaners, the food bank. So all of the work that we do for that cooperative brings historic levels of fresh produce into the network. And I can come back to that co-op in some more detail if you'd like later. But we also are a contract reclamation site for the Kroger company. So surplus food and non-food across Indiana and Illinois stores come in here in semi-loads to be sorted. We're tied into their Telzon scan system. So it, their system tells us whether to discard or return to vendor or the majority is donated out through our pantry system. And then the fifth and newer role, we really act as a wholesale buying arm for other food banks and other hunger relief organizations, where when they're buying in bulk, they can do it through us. We do consolidated orders. Again, Gleaners, the food bank benefits as well. When we're buying a semi-load from Kraft or General Mills or Nabisco or dozens of companies, and including some that is kept here by a for-profit food distributor in our building, and we can tap into that inventory as well. So a growing role in gathering food at the lowest possible cost and offering really unusual variety now to non-charitable partners. So in, in a lot of ways, would it be fair to say that 
Gleaners is a logistics company who happens to be focused on tackling the issue of food insecurity? Yeah, I actually, I often describe us as both a mid-sized supply chain company and a large charity. And if you think about that, not just in terms of what we do, but if you take that further to how do we make decisions, what sort of leadership role, what influencer role, what are our partner interactions, they really are a mix of corporate and nonprofits. And really every decision we make as a leadership team has one part charity, one part supply chain company. The only question is what's the ratio or what's the mix, but mm-hmm. really whether it's staffing or it's fleet or it's facility or it's food, it, it's a mix of both. And, and I do want to come back to that both because you're kind of a mix of both as well, right? With your corporate background <laughs> yes, as well as, as, as your current role. But before we get that, maybe just as a baseline for our listeners, could you share a little bit about the concept of food insecurity in general? And because I can speak for myself that as I become more informed, it's a much broader topic than I think what most people would presume when you use that term. So could you, you maybe start with the concept of food security in general? I will, and I'll amend your question a little bit, if you don't mind, too, and talk about its interconnected nature, too, because I I spent, as I said, the first decade or so of my career as a U.S. diplomat. I was overseas, and and when we talk about food security in other countries, it may be even a more strident version. Or if you talk about much of the African continent or even Burma, where I lived, you've got actual starvation or near starvation, and that's not typically the U.S. mode. In the U.S., we're typically talking about uncertainty about where the next meal or meals will come from. There is actually more than enough food in this country. It's just not in the right place at the right time in the right combination for people who need it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the supply chain piece of of my experience in cleaners comes in, getting the food to the right place, but also connecting people who are in need and helping them know where the resources are. So it's more about uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I think there's a generalization or an assumption that the people we serve aren't working or don't want to work, or there's some judgmental perception sometimes when consistently over two thirds are working and some may work two or three or four jobs in a household, Mm -hmm. but they don't yet have that best hunger relief cure we can give them, which is a full-time job that feeds the whole family for the whole. Mm -hmm. Our role and the role of other charities is typically to fill a gap. They may have earned income to feed their family part of the month. They may have a supplemental federal program for part. And then cleaners and other charities fill the remainder of that month on a cycle. But in other countries or other definitions, they have no food. So the U.S. model is very different, as is European and and some other developed or developing countries. And I appreciate you both kind of explaining the difference between the U.S. model as well as, I'll just use the term, maybe third world food insecurity. Uh, But I also really appreciate, you know, kind of elaborating that your customers aren't necessarily people who aren't, that it's that that bridge piece that I think is so often misunderstood or, or overlooked when people are talking about supporting food banks in, in our locales. Thank you for that. So coming back to the logistics piece, and, and we touched on this in the intro, but I'd be fascinated to know what's similar at Gleaners to your experience at, at Kroger, which again, for people who aren't maybe in, in the Midwestern region, is a very large uh, grocery chain based out of Cincinnati. What, what's similar and what's different? And I guess maybe 
what did you bring to Gleaners that you learned at Grover and maybe flipping the coin, what are some things that for-profit food distribution networks could learn from you and other Feed America partners? Well, I'd say, first of all, my colleagues at Gleaners frequently give me a hard time on how often I refer to Kroger as an example to follow. And this has something to do with a strategic plan that we approved in 2019, an ambitious strategy that adds um, whole new levels of activity around reducing the line through collaborative partnerships and simply rejecting long accepted conversations about meal gaps. Why should we just accept that there could be 150 to 200 million meals missed every year in this state. Let's not talk about it. Let's close the gap and take it to zero because the food is there. It's the back to your supply chain challenge. But to do that, we can't presume that donors will give us two and a half or three times the donations they historically have. We can't do it by asking for more money. Um, I don't agree with that in politics or nonprofits. And, and I would say, let's see how we can close the gap from both directions. And so Gleaners embarked on really, when I arrived, corporate level efficiencies and cost controls and improvements. And we did dozens of new things to drive down the cost per meal. When I got here, it cost Gleaners 41 cents to provide every meal. We just finished a fiscal year where it cost 17 cents to provide a meal. Wow. And we have We've quadrupled, more than quadrupled distribution since I got here. So we have taken the quantity to pretty impressive outcomes. But in the meantime, the qualitative measure is what is the nutritional quality and variety of food that we offer? And through that produce co-op that I referred to and the fresh dairy and protein, and frankly, more variety of all food categories, hiring dietitians, doing meal planning, food safety. We actually think about an entire meal that we can give to a family, not just ad hoc loose items. Mm. So quality and quantity have both moved pretty dramatically and we're closing the gap. And if you use pandemic data as an indicator, we had a 67% increase in need in this area as a result of the pandemic. But Gleaners increased our distribution in the last year 137%. How are we able to increase our, our the number of meals we've sent out in the last year far more than the increased need? It's that meal gap. So we not only fully met the increase in need caused by the pandemic, more people hungry, but we closed some of that meal gap in the meantime. People found the food lines and they accessed food that was available before the pandemic, but they haven't connected. And I attribute that to some phenomenal new partnerships. The first that comes to mind is the Immigrant Welcome Center. Mm -hmm. I knew from my years on the International Center Board and other things that we were missing people who should have been in the food line, who needed help, but didn't know how to access it. Mm -hmm. But going out with multiple languages and their help and buying food that was more acceptable to more diverse populations from working, reaching out to the Burmese Association, the International Center, and corporate partners like Anthem that shared language proficient employees to help us translate from getting language help from Luna Center and Immigrant Welcome Center to do SNAP outreach and SNAP enrollment in multiple languages. We've really gone down this diversity path not for the sake of checking off the right thing to do, which it is, 
but to reach more people who needed help. And mm -hmm. that and dozens of other things we did, now we have actually closed some of that meal gap. And the strategic plan target is to take it to zero and no longer accept that neighbors are hungry, particularly when we know the food is there. And scaling up a wholesale level player that does thing in truckload quantities versus Baskar here and there at some of the local partners, we can scale up rapidly. The produce co-op's an example of that. You know, before launching that regional co-op in the spring of 2017, we got zero pounds of fresh produce straight from the farm. Zero. Fiscal 20 that we just finished, we distributed 40 million pounds of fresh produce. So if we were a for-profit enterprise and launched a new operating subsidiary, so to speak, and we went from zero to 40 million units in less than two years, mm -hmm. be a pretty impressive ramp up. And, and I've got by a sense of urgency to close that meal gap and to feed all of our neighbors, even the ones we were already feeding, yeah. the most nutritious, high quality food we possibly can. Well, it sounds like the organization has evolved from maybe more of a historical charity, we are here to serve, come to us model to an outreach and really building those connections to your point, reduce that meal gap to, to zero, which would be amazing. And, and I know this given your, the time you spent in Burma, but the central Indiana area has more Burmese residing here than anywhere outside of Burma, which is for a lot of people, it's a shocking fact to learn. Well, but our sister food banks in Bloomington, Indiana and Fort Wayne, Indiana would say they have their share of ethnic Burmese and, and other immigrant populations as well. But we had work to do to serve the neighbors who've been here longer. So I think we've made progress in that whole diverse mix of neighbors who are food insecure. And, and that's certainly satisfying for me and for the rest of our team. But I'd come back to a question you asked earlier, if you don't mind. Absolutely. People tend to think about hunger in isolation, just as they think about unemployment in isolation or a mental or physical health issue in isolation, when we really need to be thinking about the interconnected now nature of those challenges. And to some extent, what's the trigger event and what are the symptoms or outcomes? Because if we want to really get families back to self-sufficiency, and to cure hunger or cure homelessness or whatever it might be, I think it's incumbent on the service providers and their partners and supporters to come together and do our best to deliver those interconnected solutions the way those families deal with them at the same time. You know, we can't pretend to give somebody a bag of food on Monday and some job lead on Tuesday and something about education on Wednesday and say we fixed it. That bag of food gleaners gave them on Monday did nothing but give them a set number of meals. But if we come together and we work in, as collaborative partners with the organizations that have the other solutions, a family at a time, we get them to sufficiency. That's why gleaners and Eskenazi have a fantastic partnership where we've brought food and medical care together. The top 10 chronic health conditions are affected more by the food people eat or don't eat than household income or any other measure. So why shouldn't gleaners and Eskenazi be serving the same households together? Why shouldn't gleaners be having food pantries in Ivy Tech campuses so the top two reasons students don't finish and get their degree 
lack of childcare and lack of food, we can help them solve one. And if those students stay all the way to graduation, they improve their household income, they move towards self-sufficiency, and they're not only not in the food line, that whole family's, that family's entire situation is better. So we really are working with a lot more partners and thinking about it the way we should have always, which is from the client household perspective and what do they need from us and from others. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is a great segue though to the, the shift in philosophy around your clients and the client experience, because again, to my earlier comment of moving away from a historical charity base, we're here to give to you mentality to we're here to serve you, to, to work with you. Maybe share a little bit about, and I know COVID delayed that journey somewhat by necessity, but where do you see both gleaners as well as the, the broader food security umbrella moving in the way that, that you really partner with your clients and treat them truly as clients and not as recipients. We're also embarking on an exercise that we should have long ago, but I guess it's in the category of better late than never, where we're being much more proactive about capturing the voice of the client. So one of our staff who leads the team that works with SNAP benefit enrollment and, and some other related topics has teamed up with a board member who's a licensed social worker and they are through a mix of means embarking on a journey to really capture the voice of client better. We're like other well-intentioned charities that we think we know everything our clients need of us, but we don't ask often enough, or we ask in a way that filters their voice. And so we're, and in fact, we've partnered with Carano to deploy some technology in food distribution lines and doing some text and data-based gathering of of information on what their other needs are, interconnected needs, and how might we better serve those clients. And we'll be doing more and more of those activities to get it from the most authoritative source on what we should be doing as an organization. And, And that's the voice of the clients. But we also are trying very hard to be a better partner to the hundreds of organizations that rely on gleaners as a primary source of food and expertise and other support. We restructured, we redid every job description in our programs and services area. And we now have what you already talked about by coming from for-profit, I would equate to a regional account representative type model where gleaners program staff are assigned counties or in the case of Marion County townships, and that's their territory. And they are the advocate to and from our food pantries, the soup kitchens and other partners in those areas. They come back to gleaners and they are a single point of contact for that partner. Gone are the days when if the partner needed six things from gleaners, they maybe talked to 12 people and not all 12 responded. Mm -hmm. We're a better partner now. We also realize that we can't wait for those partners to catch up with gleaners as we have more food, better food, and so on to distribute, if the majority of our pantries don't have a refrigerator, they don't have a freezer, they don't have wire sheet, they don't have the equipment, the capacity to distribute that food, it doesn't matter how much fresh milk we have. Mm. They can't take it. And the families they serve in their neighborhoods are then disadvantaged. So Mm. we're out raising funds. We are investing money. We've already done it through five counties of the 21. We're starting in on Marion County. 
where we are going out and finding the money, the expertise, the resources to invest and build the capacity of these local partners. That's that's a bit unusual for nonprofit to find resources and invest in other nonprofits so directly, but mm-hmm. we're doing it for the clients. We're doing it so they can serve those clients better and not have the coincidence of geography of where they happen to be, be a barrier to families accessing help in one county or one township versus another. But I think it's all this proactive work that we're doing to be a better partner to now almost 700 local partners across our counties is showing. Uh, Feeding America just did what we call a pulse survey and the results of the question on how satisfied our partners are with how Gleaners supports them just came back 23% satisfied, 76% extremely satisfied. So I normally rely on my CFO for math, but I'm going to add those two numbers and come (laughs) up with 99% of those partner organizations in that survey are satisfied or extremely satisfied with leaders. And that's so gratifying, you know, and, but it's an example of what you said earlier too, we're proactive. There's so much about the hunger relief model that was reactive for years. We sat and waited to see what loose cans and boxes would find their way to gleaners via food drives or other activity. And whatever people happen to donate is what we gave away. We do almost no food drives now. When there are food drives in our area, we direct them to the closest food pantry in their neighborhood and go straight there mm-hmm. as it should have. And we go out and raise the funds now to purchase exactly the mix of food that we think we want to offer to clients. And there's a balance on the food. Feeding America has a program called Foods to Encourage, which is a variation of USDA's My Plate model. And the national goal is 70% foods to encourage or nutritious foods. Gleaners hit 80% in this pandemic year. So we, it's our goal was 80%, by the way. So we achieved our fiscal 23 goal for nutritious portions early. But the goal is not 100% because we feel if we go too much beyond that 80%, we're being unfairly judgmental about those we serve. Mm-hmm. We want them to have as close to that Kroger customer service experience as we can provide. We still carry food to the car and load it, and load it for them. We help them shop. It's a customer service model, but it's also meant to be non-judgmental and supportive and encouraging and optimistic. And if they want some foods that are maybe not as healthy as some of the other things we offer, that's their choice. So we're not going to 100%. You know, mm-hmm. I'll admit to putting a bag of Doritos in my bass cart every once in a while, so why shouldn't they? <laughs> so again, 80% is the goal, not 100%. But we're well above the historic levels that, you know, trickled in the 20 to 40% nutritious range in the early days of food banking. Everybody deserves a Cool Ranch Dorito every now and again, right? So one one last question for you before we get to the, the lightning round of questions is, and this is probably a little bit of a two-part question. So the pandemic challenged a lot of people to kind of rethink their operation. Cleaners historically has a fair amount of volunteer capacity that helps you fulfill your mission. First question for you is, knowing that you significantly increased your throughput last year, how were you able to adapt to not having volunteers for a period of time? And the other one, it's related, is also early in the pandemic, um, while there wasn't a food shortage in the United States, the distribution system was significantly challenged as 
buying behaviors changed and supply chains were, were stretching to, to accommodate that. So you were competing for the same resources, but again, your throughput significantly increased, I guess. One, how were you able to, to deal with those truly unique set of logistical supply chain issues while also dealing with the loss of a significant portion of your labor force? Well, I could fill your time slot with either of those answers alone, actually. You picked two complex issues. So if we talk about manpower, and you specifically mentioned the, uh, that we had to curtail volunteering in response to COVID restrictions temporarily, we had to more than double our distribution in response to the pandemic. So the workload more than doubled, but all work became more complicated as well, not just with COVID restrictions, but just the process of more and more perishable food, which is handled differently, the complexity. So more than doubled, all more complicated. Historically, 40% of our work effort was done by volunteers and that 40% of productivity stopped. So how do you deal with that? First of all, the Gleaners employee team has absolutely amazing the work how hard they've worked non-stop work we had to force some people to take time off periodically particularly warehouse and drivers they wouldn't stop coming every day we had to make them take a break so employees are part of the key and in increased productivity but we also worked with one of our board members and reliable staffing and some of the temporary workers who were being furloughed at the convention center and other locations downtown, we picked up their payroll. So it's fluctuated between 40 and 70 temporary workers on site at Gleaners, and they have picked up a lot of the work as well. So they've made the difference, some of the volume, but then our governor was one of the first in the country to deploy National Guard troops in this, in the case of Indiana, to the top 20 food distribution sites in the state. And we are so thankful that he did that. Certainly Dr. Box, Department of Health, and Dr. Sullivan at FSSA advocated for him to do so. We know who carried our message to the governor to get the yes. And those two agencies have been phenomenal partners for us. Uh, so a mix of National Guard troops for a period of time, temporary workers since the start of the pandemic and continuing now. And as we scale volunteers back up at Gleaners, we're scaling down the temporary workers. Mm -hmm. But the pace... When the National Guard deployment ended in mid-October, we knew we weren't going to have enough volunteers. That was almost a more urgent period for us than March in terms of getting the work done because we were running full speed at more than twice the volume in October still. Lilly Endowment stepped up, as they do for so many other organizations, and provided funds for Gleaners Second Helpings, Midwest Food Bank, and then pantries at Gleaners Discretion, who also needed volunteers. It's all run through Gleaners, but it's a multi-organization funding allotment from LA Endowment. And that has meant the difference. That has allowed a smooth and gradual transition of volunteers increasing, temp workers decreasing. Hmm. Very stabilizing at a time we really couldn't afford to be cutting back because that was the choice. We would have had to cut meal distribution. You also ask a question about the food supply chain, and, and I have really consistently said it's more disrupted during this pandemic than any time since World War II. It's been amazing, the disruption. And for food banks in particular, since Kroger and other retailers helped start the food bank system and build up and found these food banks 
40 to 50 years ago, depending on where in the country you are, they have been the most consistent retail partner for all of them. Walmart has dramatically increased their support and Aldi and others. And as a group, our largest single source of food and for many food banks could be two thirds of the food. It's about that for gleaners. It went to zero when their stores destabilized at the start of the pandemic. And, and I don't mean that critically of those retailers at all, great partners. And little by little, we're starting to pick up surplus food from those stores again, but we're not where we were pre-pandemic and the need is double. So they couldn't have met the same percentage as they did historically anyway. But think about what happened as they were going out and purchasing more food and non-food items to restock their stores we now are going out and getting donations and turning to those same food companies, many of them companies that have been generous to food banks for decades, Kraft and General Mills and Bisco and you know, companies that have given so much to the food uh, network, they're having to choose and they're having to prioritize. And we found ourselves in line behind all of our retail partners, mm -hmm. even though we had donor dollars to spend. Historically, those same companies have given us deep discounts. We weren't paying the same price as the for-profit companies at General Mills and Nabisco and so on. They were giving us discounts. They couldn't do that when they couldn't even keep the Walmart and Kroger stores full. Mm -hmm. So again, not a complaint. It's just what happened to the supply chain. And it is still not back to the pre-pandemic levels. It's sort of food or non-food category at a time is stable. We have been able to fill some of the gap with more fresh produce and some of the perishable items actually have been more available than others, but because the delivery side of that supply chain was also disrupted. You know, when pre-pandemic, when we ordered a truckload of food, we know the day and the time and almost the five minute window that truck was arriving, not, not at any time since. We had orders that were canceled or delayed or diverted, or they couldn't, they'd say, you may be 90 days before you get your truck. And how do we order around that? That was also frankly exacerbated by a good situation with USDA where the USDA started distributing a program called farm to families. They distributed pre-packed food boxes through food banks and other nonprofits. But those were stopping and starting, and you didn't know when those food boxes would arrive. But we needed to order other food to fill the gap. Mm -hmm. So if we had USDA boxes for a period of a week or two, we didn't have to order the food. But when you can't control the delivery window, so you start finding yourself overstocking to the extent you can with frozen, refrigerated, and shelf-stable groceries, we ran out of cooler and freezer space. We mm -hmm. still have a log jam in those. And what's the solution? It's to go out and rent reefer trailers at three to $600 each unbudgeted. That's per week. Mm -hmm. We were renting 25 to 30 at a time of these running out of blacktop around our building to park those going around and filling the diesel tank on every trailer. And you can't, you can't pull supply and distribute food from scattered trailers around the premises the way you can if it's in neat and tidy shelves in your freezer or your cooler. Yeah. It's, it's the, the process of distributing that food is much more time consuming, much more complex. You really have to take a whole trailer or none. You can't pick from it. So the logistics um, have been 
quite the challenge. Well, it just makes it all the more impressive uh, that you were able to more than double what you were able to do. So hats off to you as well as all your colleagues, as you said earlier, it truly was a team effort. But, well, with that, I've got plenty of questions, but for the sake of, of time, I'm going to move over to the lightning round. So there are four questions here. There are no wrong answers, only long answers. So yep. uh, first question. By the is, way, while I'm thinking about it, the freezer thing uh, reminds me, we had a little freezer claim uh, a couple of years ago and your team is amazing. You know, I, the drive time from your office to Gleaners, I think is about 25 minutes. And I, I think our rep was here in 23. So we may have driven a little zippy on I-70 or something. I don't know, but you guys have been a great partner. And I judge uh, the companies that we work with I keep saying, I don't want any vendors. I want mission partners. And Gregory and Appel has been a phenomenal mission partner to Gleaners Food Bank and has contributed to all of the success that we've had in this period of time you and I have been talking about. Before I forget, I hope you will thank your team for being part of ours and contributing to that success. No, absolutely. And I, I sincerely appreciate you saying that. It is truly our privilege to get to partner both with you as well as a num number of other organizations here in central Indiana who are doing so much to to help serve our fellow citizens. So again, thank you for that. But as far as the, the lightning round goes, so first question is, what would we find on John Elliott's car radio? <laughs> Fox Business. All right. Uh, so second question is, um, what book would we find on your bedside table or e-reader? I'm actually reading an interesting book now on Saudi Arabia. I'm stuck on the title now, but it's it's a great history by a former U.S. diplomat who spent much of his career there in Saudi Arabia. And it goes from literally formation of the nation to current times. Fascinating. Uh, so next question, cats or dogs? Cats. All right. And last question, and this one is a little bit more serious. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? I don't know. I have benefited from so much advice from so many mentors and people, but I think various people have given me some of the same advice, which is really keeping issues in perspective. It'd be a variation of the small issues are small and the big challenges are big. Keep it in perspective. Great. And uh, John, before we wrap up for those listening, how would you direct them to uh, learn more and or support Cleaners. Well, I'm glad you asked that. So I didn't have to prompt that question. As you've heard from all of my answers, we are so dependent on, on donors for financial support and volunteers for volunteer support. And frankly, these days, advocates to get the right resources and help from government and non-government and other partners and, and to spot collaborative and partnership opportunities for us. So for all of that, you can go to gleaners.org, gleaners.org slash donate or gleaners.org slash volunteer. Thank you. Uh, well, with that, uh, John Elliott, President and CEO of uh, Gleaners, thank you very much for joining the Growth Adventure. Okay. Thank you.